all you have. You are now tuned in to Parker Swayze. So just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's up, my fabulous Far, Far Away family? How is everyone doing today? I hope everybody's doing well. So you know we have to start off with The Mandalorian. The first episode of the second season aired last Friday. I'm not going to spoil it, but I will say this. It had a star-studded cast like Timothy Orphelson and John Leguizamo. I'm not disappointed by any means. It was as good as I thought it was going to be. A lot of action, just the way I like it. Okay, let's see what the news and rumor department has for us today. A new Boba Fett trademark filing could hint at the future of the iconic Star Wars character. Bobo is believed to make an appearance on an episode of The Mandalorian. It was reported that Tremora Morrison, who played Jango Fett in 2002, had joined the cast of the hit series. Some have claimed that Morrison returned to play Bobo Fett. This has not been officially confirmed by Disney, but the new Boba Fett trademark filing has many Star Wars fans thinking that a standalone project could be on the way. The filing includes fictional books, journals, and binders. This is an update from the 2010 filing that included action figures and other toys. Josh Tank at one point was attached to direct the Boba Fett movie back in 2014 and later stepped away from the project. In 2018, it was revealed that James Mangold was attached to direct. But the project was shelved soon after because of the poor performance of Solo. Boba Fett's solo project is rumored to be in development on Disney+. Plus. But is it true? The Mandalorian Season 2 could end up giving Boba Fett a larger part. It could be a new launch for a fan-favorite character, who some believe was shown in Season 1. A figure wearing Boba Fett's trademark spurs approached the lifeless body of Fennec Shan in the Gunslinger episode. Some have asked how was this possible if Boba Fett was swallowed by the Pit of Sarlacc. The short answer is, in Book 1 of the Bounty Hunter's War, it describes his escape from the pit. Now, the Bounty Hunter Wars are legend books, so if the rumors are true and Boba does show up on the show, this is another example of legends and canon commingling. Now, let's move on to something that I have been asking myself, where did the First Order come from? The First Order's origin has been revealed in the Star Wars book, the same book that told us the real story behind Snow. But we only know a little bit about the First Order. This was only what we had learned from the sequel trilogy. But the movies only gave us a snippet of information. This caused hardcore fans to look into comics, books, novels, and video games for more information. Now that it comes to the First Order and even Snoke, fans didn't really have any concrete answer until now. There's a section on the First Order that touches upon what most Star Wars fans already kind of knew. We knew that the military might of the First Order was built up in the Unknown Region. This was done by the escaping Imperial leaders after the Battle of Endor. But it also reveals that the First Order had its start inside the New Republic. Agents of the First Order pushed for a strong centralized role in the New Republic government. This ended up causing a political stalemate, forcing systems that feared losing control to break away from the New Republic. Had the remaining members of the Empire not fled to the unknown regions, the First Order would never have been able to mobilize. We are getting a tease of what life was like after the Empire fell. This is because The Mandalorian takes place five years after the last installment of the original trilogy. This is when the surviving members of the Empire were returning to the Republic from the Unknown Region. Moff Gideon is a remnant of the Empire and his role is believed to be greatly expanded in the second season. So we might be getting a little bit more information about the First Order in the weeks to come. Now let's get back to Darth Bane, because the last chapter left us in a grueling game of Sabacc, where the winnings and emotions are running high. So let's get to it. The hours ticked by. 
Other miners began to arrive, the day shift coming in to replace the night crew that had left. The card shark kept dealing, and the players kept betting. Denzel's stack of chips was growing steadily larger, and the sabak pot kept on growing. 3,000 credits, 4,000, 5. None of the players seemed to be having fun anymore. Des figured his scorching rant had burned off all the pleasure from the game. Des didn't care. He didn't play Sabat for fun. It was a job. Same as working the mines. A way to earn credits and pay off Oro so he could leave Apatros behind forever. Two of the soldiers pushed away from the table. Their credits cleaned out. Their seats were soon filled by miners from the day shift. The lure of the massive Sabak pot was enough to draw them in, despite their reluctance to go up against Des. Another hour passed and the senior officers, the lieutenant and the commander, finally packed it in. They too were replaced by miners with visions of hitting one good hand and cashing in the unclaimed Sabak pot. The Republic soldiers who stuck around, like the ensign who'd first challenged Des, must have had deep, deep pockets. With the constant influx of new players and new money, Des was forced to change his strategy. He was up several hundred credits. He had enough of a cushion built up that he could afford to lose a few hands if he had to. Now his only concern was protecting the sabot pot. If he didn't have a hand he thought he could win with, he'd come up in the first few turns. He wasn't going to give anyone else a chance to build up a hand of 23. He stopped folding, even when he had weak cards. Sitting out a hand gave the other players too much of a chance to win. Some lucky shifts and some poor choices by his opponents made sure his strategy worked, though not without a cost. His efforts to protect the Sabak pot began to eat into his profits. His stack of winnings shrank quickly, but it would all be worth it if he won the Sabak pot. Okay, I couldn't do it. If I was winning, I am not going to start losing on purpose, just for the possibility to win big. I would be thinking to myself, what if I didn't win? Now I don't even have the money that I won in the first place. But Dez believes that he is going to win big. So he starts to use this new strategy. In my opinion, a dumb strategy. I guess we'll have to see how it turns out for him. Through hand after agonizing hand, players continued to come and go. One by one, the soldiers gave up their seats, forced out when they ran out of chips and couldn't afford more. Of the original group, only Dez and the Ensign remained. The Ensign's pile was growing. A few of the soldiers stayed to watch, rooting for their man to beat the miner with the big mouth. Other spectators came and went. Some were just waiting for a player to drop so they could swoop in and take the seat. Others were drawn by the intensity of the table and the size of the pots. After another hour, the Sabak pot hit 10,000 chips, the maximum limit. Any credits paid into the Sabak pot now were wasted. They went straight into the Oro accounts. But nobody complained. Not with the chance to win a small fortune on the table. Des glanced up at the chrono on the wall. The cantina would be closing in less than an hour. When he'd first sat down at the table, he'd felt certain he was going to win big. For a while, he'd been ahead. But the last few hours had drained his chips. Working to protect the sabak pot was crippling him. He'd gone through all his profits and had to rebuy in twice. He'd fallen into the classic gambler's trap, becoming so obsessed with winning the big pot that he'd lost sight of how much he was losing. 
He'd let the game get personal. His shirt was hot and sticky with sweat. His legs were numb from sitting so long, and his back was aching from hunching forward expectantly to study his cards. He was down almost a thousand credits on the night, but none of the other players had been able to cash in on his misfortune. With the Sabak pot capped, all the antes and penalties went straight to Oro. He'd have to work a month of grueling shifts in the mines if he ever wanted to see any of those credits again. But it was too late to turn back now. His only consolation was that the Republic Ensign was down at least twice as much as he was. Yet each time the man ran out of chips, he'd just reach into his pocket and pull out another stack of credits. As if he had unlimited funds. Or as if he just didn't care. The card shark fired out another hand. As he peeked at his cards, Dance began to feel the first real hints of self-doubt. What if his feeling was wrong this time? What if this wasn't his night to win? He couldn't remember a moment in the past when his gift had betrayed him. But that didn't mean it couldn't happen. See, that's why I couldn't do it. Dez is going to have to work a month of exhausting shifts in the mine just to pay back all the credits he borrowed for the game. At this point, he has no choice but to win. The crazy thing is he is doing all the things on a hunch. He had a feeling that he was going to win big today. I know myself too well. I couldn't do it off a of feeling. Nope. His only enjoyment left in the game was the fact that the other guy was losing his money. I am starting to think that Dez is as crazy as a rabid dog. He pushed his chips in with a weak hand defying every instinct that told him to fold. He'd have to come up at the start of the next turn, no matter how weak his cards were. Any longer and someone else might steal the sabak pot he was working so hard to collect. The marker flickered and the card shifted. Des didn't bother to look. He simply flipped over his cards and muttered, Coming up. When he saw his hand, he felt like he'd been slapped. He was sitting at negative 23 exactly. A bomb out. The penalty cleaned out his stack of chips. Whoa, big fella. The ensign mocked drunkenly. You must be lump-soaked to come up on that. What the bricks were you thinking? Maybe he doesn't understand the difference between plus 23 and minus 23, said one of the soldiers watching the match, grinning like a manka cat. Des tried to ignore them as he paid the penalty. He felt empty, hollow. You don't talk so much when you're losing, huh? The ensign sneered. Hate. Des didn't feel anything else at first. Pure, white-hot hatred consumed every thought, every motion, and every ounce of reason in his brain. Suddenly, he didn't care about the pot. Didn't care about how many credits he'd already lost. All he wanted was to wipe the smug expression from the ensign's face. And there was only one way he could do it. He shot a savage glare in the ensign's direction, but the man was too drunk to be intimidated. Without taking his eyes off his enemy, Dez swiped his Oro account card into the reader and rang up another buy-in, ignoring the logical part of his mind that tried to talk him out of it. The card shark, its circuits and wires oblivious to what was really going on, pushed a stack of chips toward him and uttered its typically cheery, Good luck. Dez opened with the ace and two of sabers. He was at 17, a dangerous hand. Lots of potential to go too high on his next card and bomb out. He hesitated, knowing that the smart move was to fold.
having second thoughts, the ensign chatted. Acting on an impulse he couldn't even explain, Des moved his two into the interference field, then pushed his chips into the pot. He was letting his emotions guide him, but he no longer cared. And when the next card came up as a three, he knew what he had to do. He shoved his three into the interference field beside the two that was already there. Then he bet the maximum wager and waited for the switch. See, that's what I'm talking about. His goal when he first started playing was to get the others upset so that they would play with their emotion, causing them to make bad decisions. Now, Dez is playing with his emotions, which is causing him to make bad decisions. The roles have completely reversed. He doesn't even care about winning anymore, as long as the instant doesn't win the Sabak pot. Like I said, he is going crazy. There were actually two ways to win the Sabak pot. One was to get a hand that totaled 23 exactly, a pure Sabak. But there was an even better hand, the Idiot's Array. In modified Bespin rules, if you had a hand of two and three in the same suit and drew the face card known as the Idiot, which had no value at all, you had an Idiot's Array, 23 in the literal sense. It was the rarest hand possible, and it was worth more than even a pure Sabak. Dez was two-thirds of the way there. All he needed now was a switch to take his ten and replace it with the idiot. Of course, that meant there had to be a switch. And even then, he'd have to draw the idiot off it. And there were only two idiots in the entire 76-card deck. It was a ridiculously long shot. The marker came up red. The cards shifted. Dez didn't even have to look at his hand. He knew. He stared right into the Ensign's eyes. Coming up. The Ensign looked down at his own hand to see what the switch had given him and began to laugh so hard he could barely show his hand. He had the two of flasks, the three of flasks, and the idiot. There were gasps of surprise and murmurs of disbelief from the crowd. <laughs> How do you like that one, boys? He cackled. Idiots array on the switch. Okay, okay. That's why I don't believe in Hunch's gut feelings and stuff like that. There's nothing in life that is guaranteed. Dez is finding this out right now. He had a feeling, all right, a feeling that he was going to get an idiot's array, but it seems like his hunch went the other way because it was the instant that got it. That's why I don't gamble. I would have lost my mind if this happened to me. He stood up, reaching out for the stack of chips on the small pedestal that sat in the center of the table, representing the sabak pot. Dez whipped his hand out and snagged the young man's wrist in a grip as cold and hard as durasteel, then flipped over his own cards. The entire cantina became silent as a tomb. The ensign's laughter died in his throat. A second later, he pulled his hand free and sat back down, dumbfounded. From the far edge of the table, somebody let out a long, low whistle of amazement. The rest of the crowd burst into noise. Never in my life. Can't believe. Statistically impossible. Two idiots are raised in the same hand. The card shark summarized the result in the purest analytical fashion. We have two players with hands of equal value. The hand will be determined by a sudden demise. The ensign didn't react with the same kind of calm. You stupid mud crutch. 
He spat out, his voice strangled with rage. Now nobody's going to get that sabak pot! His eyes bulged out wildly. A vein was pulsing on his forehead. One of his fellow soldiers had placed a hand on his shoulder, as if afraid his friend might leap across the table to try to choke the life out of the miner on the other side. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. The ensign was right. Neither of them would be collecting the sabak pot on this hand. In a sudden demise, each player was dealt one more card, and the value of the hands was recalculated. If you had the better hand, you'd win. But you wouldn't get the sabak pot unless you scored 23 exactly. That, however, seemed impossible. There were no more idiots to deal out to preserve an idiot's array, and no single card had a value higher than the ace's 15. Not that Des cared. It was enough to have destroyed his opponent's will, to have crushed his hopes and robbed him of his victory. He could feel the ensign's hate, and he responded to it. It was like a living being, an entity he could draw strength from, fueling his own raging inferno. But Daz didn't put his emotions out on display for the rest of the crowd to see. The hate burning in him was his own private store. A power raging inside him so fierce, he felt it could crack the world if he let it escape. The dealer flicked out two cards face up for everyone to see. They were both nines. Before anyone even had time to react, the droid had recalculated the hand determined that the two players were still tied and fired out another card to each of them. The ensign took an eight, but Dez got another nine. Idiot. Two. Three. Nine. Nine. Twenty-three. He reached out slowly and tapped his cards, whispering a single word to his opponent. Sabak. Well, I guess I have to recant what I said earlier. It seems that Dez's feeling was right after all. I still wouldn't have taken that chance if it were me. But Dez did it and it paid off for him. Maybe if I could use the force to cheat, I would have done the same thing. I know he doesn't know it's the force, but it still gave him an unfair advantage. The soldier went ballistic. He leapt up, grabbed the underside of the table with both hands and gave a mighty heave. Only the weight of the table and the built-in stabilizers kept it from flipping over, though it rocked and slammed back into the ground with a deafening crack. All the drinks on it spilled over. Ale and lum washed across the electronic cards, causing them to spark and short out. Sir, please don't touch the table, the card shark implored in a pitiful voice. Shut up, you hunk of rusted scrap metal! The ensign grabbed one of the overturned mugs from the table and hurled it at the droid. It connected with a ringing thud. The droid stumbled back and fell over. The ensign thrust a finger at Dez. You cheated! Nobody gets a buck on a sudden demise! Not unless he cheats! Dez didn't say anything. He didn't even stand up. But his muscles were braced in case the soldier made a move. The ensign turned back to the droid as it rose shakily to its feet. You're in on it! 
He threw another mug at it, connecting again and dropping the droid a second time. Two of the other soldiers tried to restrain him, but he shook free of their grip. He spun around, waving his arms at the crowd. You're all in on it! Dirty, Sith-loving scum! You hate the Republic! You hate us! We know you do! We know! The miners pushed in closer, grumbling angrily. The Ensign's insults weren't far off the mark. There were a lot of bad feelings toward the Republic on Apatros. And if he didn't watch his mouth, somebody was going to show him just how strong those feelings were. We give our lives to protect you, but you don't give a wabba. Any chance to humiliate us, you take it. His friends had grabbed him again, trying to wrestle him out the door. But there was no way they could get through the crowd now. From the looks on their faces, the soldiers were terrified. With good reason, Des thought. None of them was armed. Their blasters were back on their ship. Now, they were trapped in the center of a hostile crush of heavily muscled miners who'd been drinking all night. And their friend wouldn't shut up. You should get down on your knees and thank us each and every time we land on this ball of bantha sweat you call a planet. But you're too stupid to know how lucky you are to have us on your side. <laughs> you're nothing but a bunch of filthy, illiterate... A lum bottle hurled anonymously from the crowd struck him hard in the side of his head, cutting his words short. He dropped to the floor, dragging his friends down with him. See, that's why I don't gamble. This is exactly the way that I would have acted if I lost. The incident is going crazy. He's accusing everyone in the cantina of cheating, like they just sit around plotting against the Republic. He calls them all Sith-loving scum, which is not that far from the truth. They were not too fond of the Republic, and I really don't blame them. They were killing themselves to try to help the Republic, and they rarely got anything for all their hard work. I would guess if the Sith asked them to join them, they would all probably pick the Sith over the Republic. Plus, he won't stop talking stuff about all the miners. But a lung bottle to the side of the head shut him up. Dez stood motionless as a mass of angry miners surged. The sound of a blaster caused everyone to freeze. Groshik had climbed up onto the top of the bar, his stunner already charging up the fire again. But everybody knew the next shot wouldn't be aimed at the ceiling. We're closed! He croaked as loud as his raspy voice could manage. Everybody get out of my cantina! The miners began to back off, and the soldiers stood up warily. The ensign swayed, the cut on his forehead bleeding into his eye. You three first, the Nymordian said to the ensign and the soldiers who supported him. He waved the barrel of his weapon menacingly around the room. Clear a path. Get them out of here. Everyone but the soldiers remained frozen. This wasn't the first time Groshik had whipped out the stunner. The Blastec CS-33 fire spray stun rifle was one of the finest non-lethal crowd control devices on the market, capable of incapacitating multiple targets with a single shot. More than a few of the miners had felt the brutal force of its wide-beam blast, rendering them unconscious. From personal experience, Des could attest to the fact that it wasn't a pain anyone was likely to forget. Once the Republic crew vanished into the night, the rest of the crowd began to move slowly toward the door. Des fell into step with the masses, but as he passed the bar, Groshik pointed the blaster right at him. Not you. You stay put. Des didn't move a millimeter until all the others were gone. He wasn't scared. 
He didn't think Rorschach would really fire. Still, he saw no advantage in giving him a reason to. Okay, Groshek wasn't having it in his cantina. He stands up on the bar, fires a shot from the blaster he kept. He tells everyone to get out of the cantina. But before any of the miners even had a chance to move, he ordered the three military men out first. They didn't even think about or try to protest. Not with one of the best crowd control blasters you could get pointed at them. From the way it is described, it was able to stun several targets with one shot. Some of the miners knew the pain it caused by experience. Dez was one of those people. He had felt his fear. It was nothing that you wanted to go through more than once. After the three soldiers had left, everyone else started to leave. But as Dez passed the bar, Groshek points the blaster at him. Groshek tells Dez that he isn't going anywhere just yet. I don't think that Dez is going to try to make a break for it. That blaster doesn't seem to be a lot of fun in my opinion. Only after the last patron had left and closed the door did Groshek lower his arm. He clambered down awkwardly from the bar and set the rifle on the table, then turned to Dez. I figured it was safer to keep you here with me for a bit, he explained. Those soldiers were pretty mad. They might be waiting for you on their walk home. Dez smiled. I didn't figure you were mad at me, he said. Groshek snorted. <laughs> I'm mad at you. That's why you're going to help me clean up this mess. Dez sighed and shook his head in mock exasperation. You saw what happened, Groshek. I was just an innocent bystander. Groshek wasn't in any mood to hear it. Just start picking up the chairs, he muttered. With the help of the card shark, at least it was good for something besides dealing, Dez thought, they finished cleaning up in just over an hour. When they were done, the droid waddled out on shaky legs, heading toward the maintenance facilities for repairs. Before it left, Dez made sure his Sabak winnings had been credited to his account. Now that it was just the two of them, Groshek motioned Dez over to the bar, grabbed a couple of glasses, and took a bottle down from the shelf. Cortique brandy, he said, pouring them each half a glass. Direct from Kashyyyk. Not the hard stuff the Wookiees drink, though. Milder, smoother, more tame. Dez took a sip and nearly choked as the fiery liquid burned its way down his throat. This is tame. I'd hate to see what the Wookiees drink. Groshek shrugged. What do you expect? Thou Wookiees. With a second sip, Dez was more careful. He let it roll across his tongue, savoring the rich flavor. So Groshek was trying to keep Dez there for his own safety. He didn't want the soldiers to try to jump him once he left the bar. I don't think Groshek had too much to worry about because of Dez's size. I think Dez can handle with his own, especially against three drunk people. But Groshek had a different plan for Dez, like helping him clean up the cantina. After they were all finished cleaning up the bar, Groshek sets a pair of glasses down on the bar. Then he grabs some Cortique brandy from Kashyyyk off the shelf. He proceeds to pour them both half a glass. He tells Dez that it is milder than the stuff that the Wookiees drink. Dez takes a swallow and almost gags. He chokes out milder. Then how strong is the stuff the Wookiees drink? Could you imagine getting drunk with Chewbacca? You would be tough. This is good, Groshek. And expensive, I bet. What's the occasion? You had quite a day. I thought you could use it. Dez drained his glass. Groshek filled him up halfway, then corked the bottle and set it back on the shelf. I'm worried about you. The Nymoidian rasped. Worried about what happened in the fight with Gerd. He didn't give me much choice. 
The Nymordian nodded. I know, I know. Still, you bit off his thumb. And tonight, you nearly started a riot in my bar. Hey, I just wanted to play cards, Des protested. It's not my fault things got out of hand. Maybe, maybe not. I saw you tonight. You are goading that soldier, playing him like you play everyone who sits down against you. You push them, twist them, make them dance like puppets on a string. But this time, you never let up. Even when you had the advantage, you kept pushing. You wanted him to go off like that. <laughs> are you saying I planned this whole thing? Daz laughed. Come on, Groshik. It was the cards that set him off. You know I wasn't cheating. It's just not possible. How could I control what cards were dealt? It was more than the cards, Dez. Groshik said, his gravelly voice dropping so low that Dez had to lean in close to hear. You were angry, Dez. More angry than I've ever seen you before. I could feel it from all the way across the room, like something in the air. We could all feel it. The crowd turned ugly in a hurry, Des. It was like they were feeding off your rage and your hate. You were projecting waves of emotion, a storm of anger and fury. Everyone else just kind of got swept up in it. The crowd, that soldier, everybody, even me. It was all I could do to aim that first shot from my blaster at the ceiling. Every instinct in my body was telling me to fire it into the crowd. I wanted to take them all down and leave them writhing in pain. Des couldn't believe his ears. Listen to what you're saying, Groshik. <laughs> it's crazy. You know I wouldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Nobody could. Groshik reached up a long, thin hand and patted Des on the shoulder. I know you'd never do it on purpose, Des, and I know how crazy it sounds, but there was something different about you tonight. You gave in to your emotions and it unleashed something strange, something dangerous. Groshik tossed his head back and drained the last of his cortique, shuddering as it went down. Just watch yourself, Des. Please. I've got a bad feeling. <laughs> Be careful, Groshik. Des replied with another laugh. Nymordians aren't known for relying on their feelings. It's not good for business. Groshik studied him carefully for a moment, then nodded wearily. True. Maybe I'm just tired. I should get some sleep. And so should you. They shook hands, and Des left the cantina. In the final part of the chapter, Groshik is trying to talk to Des about the things that happened today. Him biting off Gur's finger and the riot in the bar. Des tries to say it was not his fault. It was all just a situation that he was put in. Gur left him no choice, and there was no way that he cheated. Groshik tells Des that he was provoking the soldier, twisting his emotions and playing him like a puppet. Des responds by saying he only wanted to play cards. 
Groshek tries to explain that it was more than that. He tells Dez that he could feel the anger and hatred pouring out of him. The whole cantina could feel it. It was like a wave of emotion that enveloped the entire bar, causing everyone in the bar to get riled up in an instant. Groshek said that it took all his will not to fire the blaster into the crowd. Dez tells Groshek he sounds crazy and that's not possible. No one could do that. Groshek sighs and tells him that he's worried about him. Dez responds by saying that it is not in his nature to have feelings. As a Nymordian, it is bad for business to have feelings. At this point, they shake hands and Dez leaves for the night. Really quick, if you don't know what species the Nymordians are, Newt Gunray in the movies was a Nymordian. But that is it for Chapter 4. You will have to join us with Chapter 5 to find out what happens next. Hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media and is distributed by Manaxian Podcast. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.